I have a microphone on so I can be recorded, be held accountable for everything I say. <laughs> Let me open this up in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks that um, on this day, Lord, we can gather and not only, Lord, to worship you in um, our time of corporate worship, but also to, Lord, to gather in the Sunday school hour um, to be um, taught, um, to be instructed by your word, and to be led and guided uh, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, as he applies um, this teaching to us. May God, our um, teaching and our conversation, Lord, be um, glorifying to you, and may, Lord, encourage us, Lord, in our walk and in our union with Christ. Amen. Alrighty. Um, as you know, every other Sunday, um, Frank or I will teach Sunday school class, and so we're doing this one through the union in Christ or union with Christ. And um, so we've had two lessons so far um, with this union with Christ, um, and we began uh, with an introduction lesson. And then we moved into what was union with the Father. Um, and something that we need to understand is that we won't understand exactly what union with the Son is unless we begin to understand exactly what it is to be in union with the Father. And that's kind of what Frank's last lesson was on. So does anybody remember um, kind of a rehash of what Frank taught on? So one thing that um, I had finished up the first lesson with was um, that with union with the Father um, has in its nature that it's an eternal decree. And we learn that from Ephesians chapter 1 where it talks that um, we are in Christ before the foundations of the world. And this is something that God the Father decreed um, even before um, creation. But then in Frank's lessons, um, his main focus was on abiding and abiding in the Father, abiding with the Father. And um, in that lesson, he basically said, what are the terms of that abiding union that we have with the Father? And ultimately, it boils down to one thing, that God loves us. And that's it. And if you remember, he talked about um, even the covenant that God made with Abraham with the parting of the pieces and yet it was God who made that covenant. Not even Abraham was a part of it, even though he was the beneficiary of it. And so us as well, um, it is Christ who satisfies that covenant promise for us. And that's how we abide with the Father. So today we're moving into more so um, union with the Son, and then in particular union with the Son in grace. Um, and so we're going to talk about fellowship. Um, we're going to talk about three different types of grace, and then we're going to finish up with a relationship between Christ and us in grace. Um, so if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and if you recall that first lesson we had, um, I kind of used this set of verses as a foundation for what we would understand in not only union with Christ, but also union with the Father and union with the Spirit. So um, I think Paul... I don't know if he intentionally did this, but God intentionally had it recorded this way in Ephesians. Um, and so I'm going to start in verse 7. Verses um, 3 through 6 are the ones where we talked about union with the Father. And then 7 through 12 is going to be union with the Son. And then 13 and 14 is union with the Spirit, which we'll get on to later um, in our studies. But I'm going to go ahead and read here, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So this is the portion of this passage that speaks of our union with Christ. And we consider what it means to be in him. We see that in these verses here we um, cover things like redemption, we cover forgiveness, 
we cover grace, um, we, co we cover revealed mystery, that is we are part of, um, our inheritance, and then as well as the fact that we are a part of God's glory. And so here in this section, we see all of these different attributes of our being in Him, that very first phrase that starts off in verse 7. Uh, just a little side note, um, as I was studying this passage, um, I thought it was very interesting that Paul starts off, in Him we have redemption through His blood. And I just, I kind of find that not to be um, um, odd or anything, but in a sense, you know, we would think of, you know, being in union with Christ would be maybe in love, or maybe it would be in mercy. But here, foundationally, Paul says that our union with Christ is in His blood. And I was just thinking um, back to um, some of those um, times when I was in Sunday school, and maybe you've had these experiences too when you're a little kid, and the Sunday school teacher asks you a question, and there's this awkward silence because nobody knows the answer. And then finally, little Johnny says, um, because Jesus died on the cross for my sins? You know, that pat Sunday school answer, and yes, Johnny, you're right. And it's just kind of like, whew, you know, made it through another answer with the Sunday school teacher. But um, but it's interesting that um, it's such a um, common statement that even our little kids know in Sunday school, uh, but how crucial it is that our union with him is in his blood. And as the session interviews like Sunday school teachers, um, board members, staff members, and even in our membership interviews with um, even with the little kids and new members coming into our church, um, that simple phrase of that I am saved by Jesus dying on the cross for my sins is so crucial. It is so crucial. And so many times we will um, have to, um, I don't want to say coerce, but we need to get people to get to that point when they're confessing their faith to us that it is because of Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. It is because of His shed blood. That is where my salvation rests. And when we think about that, um, you know, even in that simple statement, there's a lot of things that are wrapped up in that. And one is, is that Jesus is human. Um, the other one is that there's a substitutionary atonement required. Um, there's also a declaration in that simple statement that we're separated from God. Um, it also declares that we're sinners, and it also declares that it's very personal. And so just in that very childlike um, statement, um, there's a lot of um, theology wrapped up into it. And it's important if we don't go back to the fact that our union with Christ is through His blood, um, then there's a sense in which part of this atonement is a part of what I do. Or there's a part of it that is not Jesus being declared as being human as well as God. Um, so it's kind of crucial. And so I thought it was just interesting as I was reading through that and then reading about all the other statements Paul makes. And it's like, well, he starts off with redemption through his blood. Uh, but I do think it is very important. Um, and after I reflected upon it more, I um, just saw the, the, the depth of it in that statement. Um, I will be using in our study today a lot of John Owen's book. This is the one the session decided to use as our um, kind of foundational text for these um, series. So there's a lot of quotes in here. Um, they all come out of this book. Um, John Owen's interesting, being a Puritan and um, very scholarly. This almost reads like a devotional book, so in a sense it's kind of hard to teach from. Um, fortunately, whoever did um, Professor Law, who abridged it and made it easy to read, the <laughs> version, um, did some italicizing in there, which makes it a little bit easier to follow John Owen. But if, if you ever want a devotional book, this would be great. You could probably get through about one page, and then you'd have to stop and um, ponder exactly uh, the depth of what he has to say. Um, so I'll be using this book and all the quotes in um, the lesson, the material this morning, come from this. So John Owen speaks of this union with Christ as fellowship with him as mediator. Uh, the fellowship which the saints have with the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, is fellowship with Him as mediator. Into the office of mediator, Christ submitted Himself for our sakes. Galatians 4, 3, and 5. So let's turn there. 
and if someone, when they get there, if they want to read that, that would be great. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Good. So John Owen uses this passage here to reflect on the fact that Christ submitted to the will of God. God decreed that he would come to earth, born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem us who were under the law, that we would be sons of God. This was God's decree, which we learned in previous lessons, and then this is Jesus working out that will of God. And so I'm thinking about the term mediator. So it's not a, it's not a real common word that we use today, um, not even in our church vocabulary. It's it's a very common word we use. Um, church vocabulary seems to kind of go through phases. Um, but John Owen uses it here as like the initial um, statement that he has for what it is to be in union with Christ. Um, but I want to reflect on the fact that being Christ as our mediator is an all-encompassing, and it expresses the full work of the Savior. Um, it's a summary of what was done to reconcile the church from that garden curse that we see in Genesis chapter 3. As God smelled a soothing aroma from the blood of Christ's atonement, so from the graces with which he is anointed by God for his people, his saints receive a refreshing, lovely scent of a soothing aroma. The scent is a soothing aroma symbolizing all that is acceptable and delightful. And so here John Owen goes on to um, speak about Christ as our mediator and how it is all-encompassing when we think of the work of Christ, when we think of all of the different parts of salvation. All of it is reflected really in the fact that he is the one who brought God and man back together again through um, his work on the cross. Uh, Genesis 8.21 is that passage where um, after the flood... Uh, Noah comes out of the ark, and God um, has him build um, an offering and having burnt offerings there. And it says, starting in verse 20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imaginations of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And so interestingly here, when Noah offers this sacrifice, um, God in a sense receives that as a soothing aroma. And what is the outcome of that? The outcome of the, that is that he makes this covenant promise to all mankind that he will never flood the earth again. And so here we see this, uh, benevolent act of God, even knowing, even knowing that man is still sinful, God here through this sacrifice from Noah makes this promise that he will never again destroy the earth as he did in the flood. Um, any questions so far? Or any comments actually either? All right. So we'll move down there in your handout to fellowship. And the fellowship of Christ is like communing with him. It's like eating together or going to coffee. Um, dining together in the Old and New Testament cultures was much more significant than it is today. And even when you stop and you think back to um, the book of Samuel where um, after David is established as king, he um, uh, asked his his officials, is there anyone remaining of Jonathan's house? And, right? and so what does he do? He finds Mephibosheth, brings him in and says, every night you're eating at my table. And so that was just not like, hey, I know you're hungry, you need some food. Um, but that was a significant act of David, of giving that um, 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 communion with Mephibosheth 
in reconciling those two families, even though um, in, those, in those cultures it would have been normal for the new king to go in and annihilate the family of the previous king just to avoid any uprising. But here instead, David says, nope, you're welcome at my table every single night. Um, moving on, there was greater sense of relationship in sitting down to share a meal with someone. But even with the cultural differences, inviting someone over for dinner has meaning. So just think about it for you guys. So what does it mean when you either invite someone over for a meal or you decide to go coffee with someone or you make a dinner engagement with them? What, is it, what, what does it mean? Fellowship. Care. Giving the time just yourself to engage and enjoy somebody else's as an apple. Yeah. And I have to Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm glad none of you Dutch people spoke up and said free meal. Um <laughs> But yeah, but it is. It's like it's like when we say, "Hey, I want you to come over and have a meal with me and my family." Um, there is a sense in which we're saying, "You're important to me. Relationship is important to me. I am setting aside time to be specifically with you and you with me." And this is what this means, right? Well, I think even in the older Old Testament, New Testament cultures is even more significant. Like I said, when we talked about David and, and Mephibosheth, I can barely say it. Um, but, but yes, even, even today, it means that, right? If we really don't like someone, we avoid them, right? Or if we're having an issue with them or a conflict with them that needs to be resolved, right? We have a tendency to avoid them. We definitely wouldn't invite them over for dinner. We definitely wouldn't say, hey, let's go have coffee. But a lot of times that is how we show that we care for somebody. It's how we show that, um, we're concerned for them, um, and that we want to have a relationship with them is by spending um, specific time with them. And then even too, looking at there at the end of the page, this is what Christ is saying too in Revelation 3.30 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then that verse finishes off, We'll come in and dine with him and he with me. And just a little rabbit trail, by the way, this is not an altar call verse. This is a verse of Jesus wanting to commune with his church. I grew up in churches where this was like the altar call verse all the time. But no, this is Jesus saying to his, to his church, to his bride, um, I want to sit down and I want to dine with you. So Owen goes on to say that fellowship with the Son is like a delicious banquet, a delightful safety and, or delightful safety and protection, strength and comfort, is this not what the Lord's table is to us? Um, so John Owen in his book, and I noticed Frank hasn't really hit on it either, um, his, um, his basis for communion with God is the book of Song of Solomon. So if you read this, um, I just didn't want to quote a lot from Song of Solomon, from the women getting all um, teary-eyed and the men getting all uncomfortable sitting in their seats. So... <laughs> I noticed Frank as well as um, kind of not hitting on those verses. But so when he talks about, when John Owen talks about it being like a delicious banquet, um, delightful, safety and protection, strength and comfort, that's kind of what he's thinking back onto is that um, communion that um, the king has with the Shulamite woman. Um, but thinking about that too, just that um, fellowship through, and, and the scripture uses this meal image. Um, is this not the same though, Lord, when we come here on Sunday mornings to worship? Um, you think about it, we come in, um, one of the deacons calls us to worship, right? And it's like God from his scripture calling his people to come and worship him. We then declare who God is through our confession. And then rightly so, we move right into the fact that we're sinners and we need forgiveness. And we come then to, um, to God and ask for forgiveness. He receives us back and pardons us. Um, and then we move into the, into the Word. And then God speaks to us. And God then um, ministers to us through um, His Word. 
And then isn't, isn't it just appropriate then that then we would come to this meal and then we would sit down and we would commune with God? Um, I think the way that our worship services and most um, reform services are, are ordered is very actually poetic in that way. It's very um, meaningful in that relationship with God. And we come to worship God, but there's a sense also too in which um, our worship service is about our relationship with God. And so there's a sense in which, yes, it is about God. We do come to worship Him, but when we do, He reaches to us and He worships, or not worships, but He relations with us and He has a relationship um, there. And then specifically here when we sit down at the table, um, and so this time is very intimate when we sit down to um, partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, and just a little side note too, um, what should our posture be when we are at the table? I know growing up as a kid, you know, it was usually guilt. It was usually remorse. It was usually a time where I was, you know, feeling really bad um, and feeling not worthy, um, those kinds of things. But really, when dining together with the Lord is described in Scripture, it's a joyous time. It's not a time of grieving. But so many times we, we, we run back to guilt when we come to the Lord's table. And it shouldn't be that. I mean, it should be solemn. It's not be taken lightly or um, um, haphazardly or whatever. I'm not finding the right word there. But, um, but it is to be a time of joy. It is a time to be remembering that Christ died for us. Um, in our worship service, we've already gone through confessing our sins and being forgiven of our sins. Um, and now this is the time of joy. This is the time of being glad. This is a time of being with Jesus um, in this meal. Um, any questions or thoughts? So there is a... Um... TV show called The Vikings, and mm. every single time that they are going to worship Odin, they are like bringing meals and they are partying hard and they are like then uh, uh, enjoying uh, drinks with their friends and and that looks like very pagan, mm -hmm. but that's how the Old Testament Thanksgiving offerings looked like. Yeah. In fact, if you remember First Samuel chapter one. Uh, and two, when Hannah comes, she's coming to give a thanksgiving offering. And it's not explicitly said in the text, but it's implicit in between the lines that she got pregnant because after the thanksgiving offering, she was celebrating with her husband before the presence of God. And who is the one who opens or closes the womb? It's God himself. Mm -hmm. So um, celebration is pretty much part of what we do, as you said, in communion, in, in the table of, uh, of the Lord. It's not something that we are to, um, you know, dread, but welcome with that joy. Uh, it's something that we have lost in Western countries. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, it's a meal, but we don't know what it is. It's like a joyful occasion. Mm -hmm. Any other comments? Or any thoughts or any questions? All right, we'll move on to fellowship with Christ in grace. Um, so John Owen breaks up fellowship with Christ in a couple different sections. Um, and the first one we're going to go through today is going to be um, in grace. So Owen here says that grace is everywhere in Scripture ascribed to Jesus as his chief characteristic. He dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, 1 John 1, 14. All who were before Christ were but symbols and representatives of grace. Only by Christ did grace come in truth and reality. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John 1, 17. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. John 1, 16. That is, we have communion with Christ in grace. We receive from Jesus all manner of grace. Whatever in grace, then, we have fellowship with Jesus. 
So here John Owen describes this as um, Christ's chief characteristic. And he breaks it up into three main categories. Um, and so we'll kind of go through these a little bit. So the, um, I'll just hit them real quickly here. So the first one is um, grace's personal presence or beauty. And so he speaks this of Christ. Then he speaks of grace's free favor and acceptance. And then the third one is grace's sanctification or renewing of our natures. So let's jump back up to the first one there. Christ is personal presence or beauty. So if someone wants to read Psalms 45.2, and if someone else wants to read Isaiah 4.2, Good. So here the psalmist here talking about um, Christ because it is talking about in the next verse there, gird up your sword o Thor, um, on your thigh, O mighty one. Um, so here God is talking about that grace is poured out from your lips and that you are fairer than um, the sons of men. Isaiah 4.2 on that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of Israel forever. Good. So here we call the branch, and we understand from the New Testament that speaking of Christ, and here it says that he's, be he's beautiful. So in his presence, um, Christ is beautiful. Um, of course, when we understand Paul's writings that talks, or um, Isaiah's that talks about the fact that he was he was not comely to be seen. And so there's a sense in which it is Christ's characteristic that is beautiful. It is Christ um, being Christ or being that Son of God is what is that personal presence or beauty. Um, moving on to 2 and 3, these are the ones I was kind of wanting to hit on a little bit more. Um, so grace is free favor and acceptance. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Good, thank you. So here we have this free favor in Ephesians two eight nine, very common set of verses that we that we all know. Um, I thought about reciting them from memory, but I always mix up the prepositional phrases and get it backwards, and decided not to do that this morning. But yeah, but this is that verse that we go to for God's free gift, right? And this is that form of grace that John Owen talks about that is a part of our union with the Son. Um, and this is this is where he makes a distinction, and I want to focus on this as well, the difference between union with Christ and communion with Christ. So this is our union with the Son. It is positional in nature and reflects that this was the eternal decree from God or appointed, restored relationship with the Father. In the economy of salvation, this would be redemption. We are in him, Christ, Ephesians 1.7. So, pausing there for a moment, thinking about that Ephesians verse that we read this um, opening our Sunday school class this morning, talking about being in him. So this is positional. Um, this is the fact that God decreed it before the foundations of the earth, and then Christ, through his work, accomplished that redemption for us. So we are in union with Christ positionally, different than... Um, what we'll see in um, point three there. It says, by grace of union, this is John, quote from John Owen, by the grace of union, Christ is fit to save. The uniting of the nature of God in the nature of man in one person made Christ fit to be a savior. Christ being the infinite God in human nature could suffer the infinite punishment that the sinner deserved and so, by his personal union in Christ, we are saved. So we'll look up those verses there, Zechariah 13.7 and Hebrews 2.10. Okay. 
And if someone wants to read those when they find them. All right. So this passage here, as we know that Christ quotes it of himself in Matthew, um, being that shepherd. Here we have the um, Christ here being God. And then if he, someone has Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Good. So here we see Christ here being of flesh and blood declared by the author of Hebrews. And so here we have um, these verses here that talk about God, or Christ being in nature with God, and Christ being in nature with man. Um, we call this the hypostatic union. Um, with theological terms, but it is where Christ is of both natures equally at the same time. And then this is where Christ has that ability to be that one who would bring God and man back together again. And in him we have this grace, this union that we have um, with him. Any questions about this portion right here that we just did? Or comments. All right, we'll move on to point three there. So grace is sanctification or renewing of our natures. So this is our communion with Christ. Um, let's look up 2 Corinthians 8, 6, and 7. And then also 12, 9. Good. So here we have Paul encouraging that Titus would finish what he had begun, um, complete this grace as well. Um, and then at the end of verse 7 there, see that you abound in this grace also. So, um, and then let's do 12.9 before I comment on that. If someone will read that for us. All right. So here, um, Paul receives word from God that God's grace for him is sufficient for whatever it is that he's going through. Um, this is where he would ask that this would be removed from him. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So um, these verses here speak about how grace is a part of us as we live our life. Um, and so this is different than point two. Point two, we're talking about our position. In point three here, we're talking about this renewing of our natures. Um, so this is communion with the Son. This is the grace we have as we live um, or our day-to-day -day life. Um, this is not as much our position with Christ, but how we work out our faith or sanctification. It flows out of the union we have with Him. Um, so I want to make sure we understand the difference between union and communion. Um, they're different, but they're dependent. But there's a dependency upon them. So when we think about our salvation, God decrees that um, we are His before the foundation of Earth. Christ accomplishes that um, through His work on the cross. We become unified with Christ. Um, and then there's a sense in which, through grace, God then sanctifies us. And that is our communion um, with Christ. And so I was trying to think of some examples um, to help il illustrate this. And one of them that came um, to mind is I had a friend who graduated from um, Annapolis Naval Academy quite a few years ago. And so I flew back there to um, join in his graduation and um, and it was full of pomp and circumstance. It was very um, 
um, um, lacking the word. Anyway, very orderly. It was very um, um, important event. There was a lot of famous dignitaries there at that graduation. And so as we sat up in the grandstands and we looked down on the courtyard there, as there was hundreds of people there who were graduating in this class in Annapolis, yet my friend and a handful of people partway through the ceremony left the courtyard, went to a side building, and then came out but now they were dressed as Marines. And so they had changed their uniform, which by the way, Marine uniforms are by far the best when it comes to dress <laughs> out of all the branches of service, but came back out. And it was apparent now that he had changed his union. He had to go through the Naval Academy, just that's how they do it. It's, uh, Marines are a branch of the Navy. But when he went out and came back changed in his blues, now, he was functioning as a Marine. And so he was now unified, not with all the other members who were there in that graduation ceremony, but now he and his select few were now a part of that group that was now graduating as Marines. And so that was his position. He had changed his uniform. And an interesting study, if you ever want to do it, um, thinking about being covered or being clothed, and you think about it in Scripture, starting back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve realized they were, after they had sinned, that they were what? That they were naked. And then God had to clothe them. And then if you go through and you study through Scripture about times where people were either covered or clothed, um, it is usually always an aspect of that grace of God on them. And then even when Paul, Paul says that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Um, but anyways, this is that position. So I want us to understand what union with Christ is, it is our position in Christ. But communion's different, and um, I was thinking of um, um, hiking. So Gay and I yesterday went snowshoeing in Ure, um, and and you're following a trail, and this is kind of what it is. It's kind of as we move through life, right? And it is this um, this walking. And um, and I was kind of thinking about it that so many times we 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 go through life and we don't realize that we're unified with Christ. And this is actually one of my big beefs with um, K Love, quite honestly, is that so many times it's you know yeah you need to call on Christ when you know life hurts or when um, there's issues in life or when um, you're having struggles. Um, but we don't recognize the fact that we are unified in Christ. Um, many times we, we come up either upon sickness or we come across relationships in life that hurt or we come across um, maybe loss of a job or whatever. And we consider these things obstacles. We consider these things things that get us down, things that are... They're um, inhibiting us um, as we go through life. But when we realize that we're unified in Christ, those things are not obstacles. Those are things that God is using in our life to sanctify us. But so many times we don't do that. So many, it's just like, you know, turn to Christ when you're suffering or turn to Christ when you're hurting, which we should. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But so many times in our American Christian culture, um, that's not what it is. It's like it's like you, you know, you're going through life, and um, and when life gets hard, we'll then turn to Jesus, and then have Jesus call on Jesus, and 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 he'll help you through this hard time in life, rather than looking at it as Christ has laid these steps out for us to take, Christ has laid this path before us, and we go through it, and and one of the greatest promises that we have in Scripture that comes up over and over again is that we're going to suffer. It's not very encouraging. And you wonder why people come to Christ when we have this great promise that you will suffer, just like Christ suffered. Um, but there is a sense in which that is that purifying process that God takes us through. But when we come across those problems in life, and when life hurts, and when life is a struggle, and it feels like it's going to be a struggle for a long time, it's not going to go away, the fact that we can realize that we are unified in Christ 
we are wearing the righteousness of Christ, we are in Christ, those are not so much obstacles anymore that we need to get away from or get um, beyond, but they are things that God uses in our life to mature us and to grow us. And I think so many times we would look at life differently if we could really um, grasp what it means to be in union with Christ. And, um, and, and, I, and I say this from, from my own day-to-day experience. Um, so many times it's, um, you know, how do I get through this obstacle? Um, how do I deal with this um, customer? How do I overcome these um, problems in whatever, my business, my relationships, um, church, my involvement with the school, right? Rather than um, being in Christ and understanding that um, these are not um, things that we um, should um, try to um, encounter or deal with in the flesh, but if we should deal with them um, in that union that we have in Christ, then um, we look at them differently. We look at life differently. So um, I was thinking, too, of that poem. Um, I think it's called Footsteps in the Sand or something like that, about two sets of footsteps, and then there's only one, and the person says, why did you leave me, God? And God says, no, I was carrying you. Um, and that's, and I, I think that serves a great point, but I think there's a sense in which um, it's still um, in, our, in our, especially American culture mind, is that you know, I'm doing my thing and God's doing his thing. And then sometimes he helps me out through the hard parts in life. And I think it's more so that it's our footsteps are in the footsteps of Jesus. And, and, and we are always with Christ. It's not me trying to get through life. And then Jesus helps me out to get through the hard, hard spots. It is no, it's like I am with Christ always. Um, any thoughts or comments or any um, applications that you would that you would see through this. All right, let's move down here to this last section in our Sunday school class. Um, John Owen um, speaks about this communion with Christ in grace, and he draws it as a parallel with marriage. So he goes on to say here, Scripture shows us that we hold communion with the Lord Jesus in grace by a marriage relationship. Christ is married to us and we to him. And he uses Song of Solomon 2.16. In this relationship, believers are an honor to God, Isaiah 28.5 and 62.3, and a great delight, uh, John 3.29 and Zephaniah 3.17. So let's look up those four verses there. Um, Isaiah's, John, and Zephaniah. From that day, the Lord of hosts will be found in a crown of beauty and a diadem of splendor. Good. So here in this passage, when God says that he will then restore that um, relationship with his covenant people, that it will be beautiful. It'll be like a diadem. Then 62.3. You shall also be a crown of glory in the, land, in the hand of the Lord and the royal diadem in the hand of his God. Good. So here this talks about that our relationship with God is an honor to him. So when we think of marriage and we think of that relationship, God says that to us, to his people, um, we, are, we are an honor to him. And then a great delight. So we have the John 3.29 passage. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands in his hand rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's glory. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Good. So here it says that this bride now 
completes his joy. It's a delight to him. And then Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to all right. So here the mighty one will save, and it talks about him being rejoice, being with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. So gladness, singing, love, all attributes of God when he restores his relationship with his covenant people, what that relationship will look like. So John Owen speaks of this marriage relationship to be mutual on the part of Christ and the church. So there's, um, well, just like in a marriage relationship, um, it takes um, communion on both um, the husband and wife as well here. John Owen says that this marriage relationship takes a mutual part on both Christ and the church. So this communion begins with the son's redeeming act. That's, if you look back up, um, Grace is a free favor, or our position in Him. Um, on the saints' part, all that is required is their free willing agreement to receive, embrace, and submit to the Lord Jesus as husband, Lord and Savior, to abide with Him, subject their souls to Him, to be ruled by Him um, forever. So here John Owen speaks about the fact that um, there is a part where Christ redeems us, and this is a part of his free act of grace to us, but there's also a part in which the church, or us as believers, then submit um, to this free and willing um, um, agreement with the Lord Jesus Christ as our husband. So, thinking about that relationship and how that works, um, there's a sense in which God reaches out to us and then we respond um, in receiving that grace that we have from him. And then in that relationship, then we function in this communion um, with Christ. Any thoughts or comments? All right. So I just want to encourage us here as we, kind of wrap up and um, go into a little bit of application. I want to encourage you to try to think or to train your mind on to reflecting on our union or our position with Christ. Um, I think when we grasp more and more that we are in Christ, um, then I think the communion part of it flows naturally out of it. When we understand that we are positionally in Christ when we are clothed or wearing that uniform or are, have the righteousness of Christ on us, then naturally the communion part flows out of that. But I think so many times, and if, especially if you're like me, um, you know, life kind of seems to um, move in on us and seems to, in a sense, um, block our thought process from remembering that we are unified in Christ. And so many times we um, kind of get down to the pull yourself up by your bootstraps um, level, and this is what I got to do to um, you know, either try to get through you know, financial issues, or I need to do this to try to get through these relationship issues, or I need to accomplish this. And so many times um, you know, I go to, um, and this is typical in my business, you know, you have a you have a conflict, and so I have my typical, you know, plan one, plan two, plan three to get through whatever the issue is, right? Instead of my plan one being, let me turn to Christ. Let me let me um, see what it is to be unified in Christ in this situation. Um, you know, we begin work with prayer, but so many times um, it just stops there. It's not it's not continual throughout the day. It's not. Um, truly embracing what it is to be in union with Christ. Um, and so training our mind um, on this union, this position in Christ, um, and then I think communion naturally will flow out of it. And I think that's what we do here in our worship service. Um, you know, the beginning is to emphasize the fact that we are unified to Christ through um, confessing and forgiveness of our sins. And then that transitions into 
um, hearing God speak to us, and then um, communing at the table with him. Um, so I'm going to close here with reading um, a section here from John's book, um, and then we'll close in prayer. So John Owen says, The souls of men naturally seek something which will bring rest and peace of mind, something that will satisfy and delight them. There are two ways that men go about trying to get what they are looking for. Some set before themselves a certain aim. Some seek pleasure and others profit. In religion, acceptance with God is sought. Others seek some purpose in life, but without any certainty of finding it. They try one path, then another. And though weary in seeking and never finding, yet they refuse to give up. In whatever condition you may be, either in greediness, chasing after some futile secular or religious aim, or wandering about in your foolish imagination, succeeding only in driving yourself to despair, compare what you are aiming at, or what you are doing, and what you have already heard of Jesus Christ. If what you are, see if what you are seeking is like Christ or equal to him, then reject Christ as one who has nothing desirable in him. But if you find that all your life is full of foolishness and troubles compared to Christ, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. And a word now to you who are perhaps seeking earnestly for a righteousness by your own efforts and good works. Consider a little with yourselves. Is not Christ the only perfect righteousness, the only righteousness that will satisfy God? Why then do you trust in your own righteousness? Why then do you seek, um, send God or why then trust in your own righteousness when God sent him to be your righteousness? Good. Let me close this in prayer. Lord God, may Lord we understand what it is to be in union with Christ. Um, though Lord God is something that is not um, tangible that we can touch or to feel, yet Lord God, um, it is very real. Um, it is actually more real than the things that we experience on this earth because it is eternal. Um, it is what you have decreed before the foundations of the world. It is what you have accomplished through Christ. and is what, Lord, you have clothed us with as, Lord, we understand what it is to be in Christ. May, Lord, our communion with the Son be sweet. May, Lord, it be um, that soothing aroma. May we understand, Lord, what it is to live our lives um, understanding what it is to be your son, to be your daughter, to experience what it is to be um, blessed with the righteousness of Christ. And may, Lord, it change the way we live. May it change the way we make decisions or um, how we encounter difficulties in this life. And may, Lord, it be a reflection, Lord, to those around us who do not know um, the beautiful union that we have with Christ. Amen.